Somebody said, Amen. Amen. How desperate are we for the purpose, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit? That's our question tonight. How desperate are we for the purpose, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit? Power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we need Him so? Christ came in the flesh. We learned that this morning. But Christ came in the flesh not only to illustrate who God was, but who we as believers might be. Okay? We, show, we saw through Him God's loving plan, but we saw how we could be loving children. And His life reveals the possibility of a victorious, Spirit-filled believer. It is possible because Christ did it first. All right? And we're going to go tonight, I'm just going to give you the highlight, we're going to go tonight from beginning to end of the life of Christ. And if you just stay with me, because the end is going to be where we bring it home. But we're going to go through beginning to end of the life of Christ, from His birth, to His baptism, to His ministry, His death, His resurrection, okay? I'm just going to show you through Scripture how desperately Christ needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, who was God, desperately needed an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if Christ needed it, how much more do I and do you? Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. I'm going to be just sticking with Luke primarily, but you can kind of just uh, follow along with me tonight or just listen. Uh, in We're talking about the, the birth of Jesus Christ here. And the angel answered and said unto her, uh, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest, or the most high, will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Luke one thirty five. He said to her, The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, dwell upon you. This would represent the Shekinah glory of God coming upon her and filling her and doing something miraculous, almost a baptism of the Holy Spirit experience that really we have no definition for how God would do this. But Jesus Christ comes. And at His birth... John, uh, sorry, Zechariah, uh, Elizabeth, John, and Mary are all filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is a come and a go kind of experience. It's a one-time prophetic utterance. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit, almost like we'd see in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Luke uses the same terminology. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied. And the signaling of Christ's birth was the beginning of a new day in salvation history. It was the beginning of what God had long foretold through Ezekiel in 36 and 37, that God longed to put His Spirit within man, that they might walk with Him and obey His laws, that He was going to ride it upon their hearts. And the Holy Spirit shows up in a mighty way at the birth of Christ, And it's a revelation that this is about to be possible. The Holy Spirit is about to enter into a new dimension in believers' life. And Christ is the beginning of it. Christ is born a 100% man and 100% God. He is the first person to ever have the Holy Spirit without measure. Uh, John would say that in chapter 3. He would have the Holy Spirit without measure. And so he's 100% man, 100% God. He was not 50-50. He was 100% man, 100% God. This was something new. And it's the fulfillment and a foreshadow of something to come for you and to me. 
It is a birth of the Spirit. It is a foreshadow of a born-again experience that God would then mingle with man and make something new. Okay, and so this is now made possible in Jesus Christ, and this born-again experience is now going to be made possible when Christ deals with the issue of sin in the flesh. It was the Holy Spirit that made Christ sinless. Christ could have sinned in the flesh part, but because He was 100% God, had the Spirit without measure, that His flesh was intermingled with the Holy Spirit. That's the best word I can come up with in, this, in my language, my, my uh, limited language. Uh, he was together, and so He was therefore powered to be victorious over sin. So there's His birth. He is born of the Spirit. Okay, so if you're writing titles, you're going to write born of the Spirit. There's going to be a column for Christ. There's going to be a column for you. Okay, and we're going to get to you later. Now let's fast forward. Christ grows up. The Bible says that He was wise and strong in the Spirit. Isaiah would tell us that the Spirit would rest upon Him. It would be a sevenfold promise of the Holy Spirit to give Him wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah eleven two, And so Jesus would grow up under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how He would grow. In the wisdom, fear, understanding of the Lord. That was all through the Holy Spirit's ability. And at 30 years of age, when he would normally become a priest or a rabbi and enter into ministry, at 30 years of age, we find him at the muddy Jordan River in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. You can flip there. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. So this is the age of entering into ministry. That's key. Because we find Jesus... And it says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 20, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while He prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Now Jesus Himself began ministry at about 30 years of age. Though Jesus was sinless, He was illustrating something in the natural progression of the Christian life for you and I, is that we are to go into baptism of repentance. He put His flesh and He baptized it. And basically was crucifying it long before He would ever die on the cross. He was symbolically showing us how to crucify our flesh. That we were to go down into the baptism of death in our flesh. And so He illustrates that. And as soon as He does, God the Father speaks from heaven... God, the Holy Spirit, comes down in the form of a dove, and we see that all three of the personalities of God are manifested here that we talked about on our first lesson, that God is so infinite, God is so big, the best way He could show unity and purpose and mission and in love and His, to us was to demonstrate Himself as this three, but there is yet one God, okay? And so this perfect demonstration right here of who God is, and let me tell you about it, in this moment, the purpose of God was revealed for you and for I about Christ. Number one, it was a sign that God the Father was confirming Him and who He was, that He in the flesh, Jesus Christ in the flesh, would be the Savior, the Messiah that we needed that was foreshadowed. God confirmed it. He made a confirmation of Christ's beginning of ministry. Anytime a 
person goes into ministry, Miss Evelyn and I, and we've all been ordained. And when we were ordained and entered in officially to ministry, men and women of God came around us and we, they laid hands on us. We did the same thing with our elders. Uh, when we elected and anointed our elders, we put a mantle upon them. We laid our hands upon them, prayed upon them. God symbolically was saying, I approve this guy's ministry. He's the one that's going to save the world. Jesus, the Son's receiving it, and the Holy Spirit then comes to be the agent of God, God Himself as spirit form, but in showing His unique roles towards us, that God the Holy Spirit would come down and enable Christ to do the ministry that He was equipping Him to do. This is called an anointing. Now there's the baptism, that's the baptism of repentance, but I believe we can look at this as the spirit baptism as well. So Christ was born of the Spirit. He was baptized of the Spirit. The word that says the Holy Spirit came upon Him is the same word that Luke will use in Acts when it says the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room. Christ, if you'll go with me, Christ, I believe, had a Holy Spirit baptism. It was the natural progression that He was showing us in, in the Christian life that you must be born of the Spirit baptized into water, and then the natural progression of the Christian would be to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit coming upon you moment, sending you out to do the ministry that God had called you to do. And so there's this confirmation, but then there's this anointing. And what was the anointing? Anointings always have to do with two things, purpose and power. That's what we title this series, the Holy Spirit's purpose and power for you. Anointings are the setting apart where God would elect something, He would anoint it with His oil in the tabernacle, let's just say. Let's say we anoint this pulpit with oil. It would be consecrated, anointed with oil, set apart as holy, because it had a purpose. But when God anointed a king or a prophet, He said, not only do I set you apart with a purpose and an anointing, and only this pulpit can be used for the purpose of God, not only can Heath Harris now or a king or King David be used for the purpose of God, but I, the Holy Spirit, am going to give you the power to accomplish the task I've given to you. Anointings have to do with God's purpose for your life, but also that He gives you the power to fulfill it. That's key, because we could try to do it on our own and we'd fall short. And Jesus could not do His messianic ministry without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what you see happening at the baptism. God the Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit showing us the purpose for us. Wasn't it? He didn't have to do this for Himself. This is in Scripture for you and for me. He, already knew, he, he knew He was anointed. He knew He was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one. He knew who He was and what He came to do. It was for you and I to understand we are called to be born of the Spirit, baptized into water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit as the natural progression of spirit uh, Christian living. So he's anointed with the purpose, just as the Old Testament prophets had been. Now Jesus becomes this unique bearer of the Holy Spirit. From this moment on, he is in the office of Messiah. He has the Spirit without measure, and he is subject to the Spirit's leading. And his ministry becomes greater than Moses, Elijah, Elisha. He, he teaches in parables and miracles. He controls nature. He raises the dead. He multiplies food. He heals the lepers and more. He's greater than any person who ever walked the earth before. Why? Because he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit without measure. So he was born of the Spirit and baptized 
of the Spirit. Then we find him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is born of the Spirit, he's baptized in the Spirit, and now he's led by the Spirit. This is a natural progression that Paul would teach us through the uh, work of Galatians that you're going through on Sunday mornings. He's led by the Spirit. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That is a life verse right there, man. The Holy Spirit will lead you into temptation. But wait a minute, Pastor, didn't you just... Didn't the Lord's Prayer say, Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil? Right? Isn't that true? Let me tell you why. Jesus was showing you something and me something. Jesus already had victory as Jesus God over the devil. But his flesh didn't. His flesh, Hebrews says in chapter 4, that he had to be tempted in all things as we are. And so the Holy Spirit was leading Christ to do something for you and for me. He was already sinless, but he had to show you how we could be sinless. And so the Holy Spirit leads Christ in ministry. Ministry Christ leads him to have victory over sin. And though his, he was still God, the human part of him could still sin if it chose to do so. But the Spirit of God led Christ into temptation so that he could conquer it for you and show you and me how to rely on God's Word and His power. And by the Holy Spirit... We know that he, after 40 days, he overcame temptation of Satan. And so now that, that means something for me and you. We can too. Because Christ did it first for us. The Word became flesh for us. That's, that's this good news. I could never have defeated the devil on my own. Christ did it first for me. I just lean on Him, not on myself. That's how this works. And so He is led by the Spirit into temptation for me. And so he gets victory over sin for me. And then in his three-year ministry, we see Jesus continue to walk with the Holy Spirit without measure, a new dimension of a born-again, baptized in the Holy Spirit believer. And so he walks in the Spirit without measure, John three thirty four. He performs more miracles than Moses, Elijah, any other prophet before, moving and working by the Holy Spirit. In John five nineteen, he even, I'm just going to paraphrase, he basically says this, the Son can never do anything He doesn't see His Father doing. And whatever the Father does, I do likewise. I believe Jesus Christ never did a miracle of His own. What does that mean? But you pass if He's God. Okay, sure. But He was showing you something and showing me something. Why did Jesus, God, the Son of God, need Himself to show Him? Why does that make sense? The reason God has divided His personality up so we can understand something, it's showing us how to rely on Him. Jesus showed us as a fleshly person, we desperately need the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. He said that I don't do anything. I think when He went into a town, and Jesus being God as a man goes into a town, you know what I think He was doing? Holy Spirit, who do you want me to pray to? Pray for Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He would pray before he went into the town, God, give me a word for what I need to say in this place. I believe he so clung to the presence of the Holy Spirit which had baptized him in that Jordan and had birthed him out of Mary that he said, I, the flesh, need to put this flesh full of the Holy Spirit continually and so I don't do anything 
I don't see my father doing. And I think he's like, I think he could see God healing this person first. And then he went over there and did what God told him, did already. And I could see he saw God doing this over here. And so he went over here and did what he saw God doing. And I think that's what he means. That's the way I've always interpreted this, that I say to you, the son of man can do nothing of himself unless something he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, these are the things the son does in like manner. How desperately Christ needed the Holy Spirit to do the perfect will of God. He needed it. Even though He was God, He needed the Holy Spirit. So He was born of the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, even over temptation. He was victorious over temptation by the Spirit, and He did powerful works of ministry by the Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says that He died. Okay. There's death and His resurrection. So necessary was the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ that Hebrews 9.14 says that it was by the Holy Spirit that Jesus offered Himself up to death to be crucified. Did you know that was in the Bible? The Holy Spirit led Christ to the cross. In the same way the Holy Spirit leads you and me to crucify our flesh. The Holy Spirit is who empowered Him and led Him and guided Him to go towards that place. And it was by the Holy Spirit that He offered Himself up to death. It wasn't just a fleshly act. It was a spiritual act that He offered Himself up. Not simply to die as a man, but to die as that perfect, sinless sacrifice for us. And so He was born of the Spirit, baptized of the Spirit, led of the Spirit. He died by the Spirit, gave up the Spirit. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that it was the Spirit of God... They raised Christ from the dead. Christ didn't even let Himself be raised up. I mean, Christ didn't even raise Himself up. The Holy Spirit came and raised Him up. He was again showing you and I. Could He have raised Himself up? Yes, He is God in the flesh. But He was showing something to us how desperately we need not only to be born of the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to crucify the flesh with the Spirit, but on that last day, you and I need the Holy Spirit to get us up out of that grave. And that's His promise towards us. That the Holy Spirit that lived in Christ now lives in you. And so God, the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from death Acts chapter 2, verse 24 says, because it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. I love that verse. Born of the Spirit, baptized of the Spirit, led of the Spirit, died of the Spirit, raised to new life by the Spirit. All Jesus, His desperation, His need for the Holy Spirit. And then He became something that we so graciously needed, the giver of the Spirit. The giver of the Spirit. Luke chapter 24, verse 45 Jesus, before he died in John 14, had told his followers, I'm going to send, the Father's going to send someone in my name. The Comforter, actually he said the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Whose Helper was he first? His. The Helper, the guy that's been helping me, is now going to come and help you to do the work that I'm now sending you to do. How awesome is that? He's saying, the guy that's helping me, the Spirit of God that's been helping me, is now going to help you. I I take those odds. If it helped Jesus, I'll take it, right? And so the Holy Spirit 
he says he's going to send, he's going to be sent to you, he's going to teach you all things, bring some things to your remembrance. And so Christ needed a helper, I need a helper. And so just as this has happened, he says, uh, chapter Luke 24, verse 46, Thus is written, And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Your witnesses of these things, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Notice that word. The Holy Spirit came upon Him as a dove. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you. This is a separate from the born-again experience. The born-again experience is a within-us experience. Anointing always symbolizes the oil coming down one's head, which comes upon you. Does that make sense? And so, within me is born again. Upon me is the anointing for a purpose and a power. And so, he says specifically, and this is where some people misinterpret, because they think Acts chapter 2 was the salvation moment where the church was saved. I agree and I also disagree because Luke is specific to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit in an anointing messianic confirmation type way. He says, the same way this guy helped me to do the ministry, specifically the ministry, now I'm going to send him upon you to do the ministry I've called you to do. And so he says what? And to Go into the upper room and wait until you receive the power from on high. If we go back in time and we go back into the Old Testament prophets, Elijah would transfer his anointing, his mantle, to Elisha. Moses would transfer through God his anointing to the 70 elders. We talked about that last Sunday night, that you are good enough uh, and you're special enough to be used by God because God's desire has always been to transmit his anointing, his power upon his prophets, to the vastness of the church, to every believer. And that promise, that prophecy through Moses in Numbers chapter 11, I believe, comes to fruition here at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts, that Christ is now saying, guess what? What Moses longed for with the 70 elders, that he said, man, I wish that all God's people would prophesy because he's weary leading three million people. I need God's Spirit to fill all of God's people. Jesus says, that's about to happen right now. I'm about to send the anointer, the helper, the comforter to not only fill me and you 12. I'm about to send him to fill the whole church with the messianic anointing. And so Christ, in a spiritual sense, in John it says he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. They received that new life. Their eyes are open to the reality of who Jesus was. They go and they uh, pray for 10 days in the upper room. This is after Jesus has left. So it's the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had been killed on Passover. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. We're going to get into that next week. But tonight I want you to understand something. In the same way God confirmed it to Moses, to Elijah, the same way He confirmed it, and He says, I'm approving of Jesus Christ. This is a baptism experience over Him. God the Father confirms that anointing. God begins to confirm this anointing to His early church. He showed up with signs and wonders, wind, sound of wind, tongues of fire, literal unknown languages coming out of these guys because it was a confirmation that God had now accepted these young men and young women to do the work of Jesus Christ. They were now prophetic, Spirit-filled believers working in the same anointing that Jesus Christ had. And they would have to live their life desperate for the Spirit of God, just as He was. 
So let me tell you what it means for you and I today. For believers today. The life of Christ is showing us how we, being fleshly, need the presence, purpose, and power of the Spirit to do the will of God in our lives. Number one, means that you and I too must be born of the Spirit. John 3, 3, he would tell Nicodemus that, why are you asking me about this born-again experience? You have to be born of the Spirit. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And you must be born again of the Spirit. It would be in a new... This is the Ezekiel moment. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit now comes in you, makes you alive with Christ. The Bible says in Ezekiel that the law of God is written on your heart, that you now long to fulfill the Word of God. You, you feel Him. You sense Him. Maybe when you get saved, your eyes are opened up and you see the grass greener and the sun is brighter and it's a brand new day and you feel like you're walking on cloud nine. That's because the Holy Spirit has just come upon you, I mean filled you, uh, come inside of you and made you new. There is a joining together of the Spirit and the flesh with a new creation. Ephesians chapter 4. We've put off the old, we're putting on the new, that Christ has made something new in you. Just as Christ was born of Mary and born again, He was something newly created, flesh and spirit. So you two follow Him in likeness. When you're born again, there is something new created in you. You're still the same fleshly you. We still have the same haircut and eye color. But spiritually speaking, there's something new, different about you. Because flesh and spirit have now been made new together. A born again, it's a mystery. Just as he was a mystery, I can't explain how Jesus was God in a man. The same way I can't explain how a believer is one with God and the Spirit's in you. It's a mystery. Jesus said it's like the wind. You can just see the effects of it. You can't understand how it comes or goes. You can't try to grab it. You just see it. You feel it. You hear it. That's the Spirit in the person that's born again. So that's the natural beginning of every believer's life. And he goes on. Then he says, baptized in the Spirit. So we're baptized in the water, but he says baptized in the Spirit. Christ shows this progression of the Spirit-filled life. And do you have to be baptized in the Spirit to be saved? Absolutely not. You're saved, born again. You're saved when the Holy Spirit comes in you and makes you new again. But I believe there is something more for us to continue to walk with this. I'm not going to say it's just this one-time thing. You got it, then you're done. Christ was illustrating a lifelong dependence on the Spirit. It was a forward movement. It wasn't about checking boxes off or speaking in tongues or, yes, I had this emotional roller coaster, goosebump feeling. It was about a walking forward that every day I need the Spirit. And Christ had gotten to 30 years old by walking in the Spirit. And He came to a moment where I'm ready to get my life completely into the mission of God. God has said, now is the time for me to enter in to do something for Him. And so we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, uh, the, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all around the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is that anointing. The baptism is that anointing that God is now saying, and you are saying to God, God, I'm willing to set my life aside to fulfill the purpose. And the anointing oil, symbolically, the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and says, now I'm going to give you some power to do something I'm calling you to do. Every Spirit-baptized believer needs to be walking in that anointing with purpose and power. It's too many... Pentecostals, because I am one, too many Pentecostals have gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit and sat back down on a pew. 
That is a slap in the face to the Spirit of God and what He just did in your life. The Holy Spirit has called you to do something, and now He is going to enable you to do it. Maybe something small. It could be a prayer ministry. It could be giving something to the poor. It could be giving in missions. It could be serving as a Sunday school teacher. But whatever it is, your unique spot in the body of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to enable you to do that purpose. That's the point of the baptism. It's not a saying, I'm better than other Christians or I'm more saved than other Christians. It's saying, I'm just surrendering to receive the purpose and power that God has already given me. Amen? Amen. Okay, you're with me tonight. Then believers, you and I are to be led by the Spirit into crucifixion of the flesh. Just like Christ, I believe the Spirit-filled life is the best life for every believer. And it's the life that's going to lead you into victory over sin, just like he went into that wilderness. It's a life that's going to lead you into crucifixion of the flesh, like Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith in the Son of God, I do it. I do it because I want to die with Christ. The, fle- the Spirit is leading me to this place that I'm not living myself anymore, but I'm living Him in me. The Spirit-filled life gives you victory and power over sin. It gives you uh, a, a walk and a leading of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. Your life in the Holy Spirit, uh, the Christian life is a life in the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying. If you have been born again of the Holy Spirit, if you live in the Spirit, that means that there's something new happening to you. Then it says, let us then walk in the Spirit. You know what that means? My wife has a baby. I'm not going to pick on her. But uh, walk in the Spirit actually means walk in step with the Spirit. If you go back, and I heard a, uh, a professor of mine say that it actually symbolizes ballroom dancing. If you think of it in a way, the best way we can kind of think of it here, walk in step with the Spirit. If, if you're dancing with a person, someone is lead. Now, I hate dancing, not against it as a religious thing. I'm just not good at it, okay? I have gone and taken my wife ballroom dancing before, and I know that there is one person who is lead, and guess what? It wasn't me. It was her, okay? But if I'm in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we're symbolically dancing through this life, I have to surrender to their step. And their guidance. And if he steps here, then I step here. And if he steps here, then I step here. That's the relationship Christ had with the Spirit that led him to be victorious over sin, do supernatural miracles, walk with the Spirit, complete the mission of God. And it's a life, Paul says, Galatians 5 25. If you have been born again and you live in the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit. If he walks, walk with him. If he steps, step with him. If he talks, talk with him. How desperate are we for intimate, close, step-in-step relationship with the Holy Spirit? Christ could not have done what He did without it. Think about that just for a moment. If Christ, the Son of God, needed Him, He needed Him because He wanted to show you how desperately you and I need Him. Led by the Spirit... And on that last day, Romans 8, 11 will say that if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He's going to give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who now dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
I need Jesus just to brush my teeth in the morning, okay? That's what I'm getting out of this. I need Jesus just to get out of the driveway, take my car out of park. That's the desperation that I need to get to. That I can just get up and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I am so desperate for you. And I don't want you to be stressed out about what level of Christianity you are, if I've spoken in tongues, if I haven't spoken in tongues. Those things will come. We're going to talk about those things in the coming weeks. But I just want us to get to a place today to understand God's Spirit has been poured out for you. It is avail- he is available for you. And He wants you to be desperate for Him. He wants you and I to realize how much we need Him. I go through my days too much by my own power and by my own knowledge and by my own ability and by my own words sometimes. Most of the time, okay? Almost all the time. And every now and then I'll rely on the Spirit to do something really hard. Isn't that how it normally works? But Jesus, it was just like breathing. I just breathing in and breathing out the presence of God. How many people want to get to that place? I'm just going to keep striving for it, okay? I'm just going to keep on striving for an intimate, in-step relationship with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want us to do now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And if you guys will uh, just kind of have come like the dawn... Uh, playing softly. I want us to get to that place. And just tonight is all about, for me, making a proclamation to God to tell Him how desperate you are for His Spirit. And you might be at different levels of your relationship with God. Some of us grew up at different backgrounds. Some of us grew up Baptist. Some of us Pentecostal. Some of us Catholic. Some of us never did grow up in church. And this stuff may seem weird to you. The Holy Spirit and intimacy and speaking in unknown languages and all these things, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, this is a little weird. Just simply know that it's all about God's love, okay? It's all about His love towards you, that He wants you to live a victorious, overcoming, power-filled life that not only does something for His kingdom, but it's going to raise you up from the dead. It's going to raise you up from the dead of the sin in your life. It's going to crucify the flesh in you. It's going to, you're going to see more powerful, more, He says, greater things that you would do Because we as a group of people, He was just one Spirit-filled being walking the earth, can only do a limited amount of miracles in three years. But He says, because the Spirit now is coming to all people for all time, and every person in the church can have the same Holy Spirit, the church itself is going to do some great and mighty works. And heaven is just going to have their their hands on their face and their mouth wide open, just saying, oh my gosh, look what these people are allowing God to do in their life. They are casting out devils. They are walking uh, through fires. They are handling things that aren't going to hurt them. They are overcoming this world by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. I want to live a life that's in step with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you label it. I don't care what you call it. Baptism or tongues or sanctified or whatever. I just want to be with God. I want to walk with Him. I want to talk with Him. I want to live a victorious life. How many say amen? Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Here's how our response in prayer is. We've got plenty of time. I'm going to invite you just to come, and you just say, that's my proclamation. We're just going to close out in an anthem of prayer as these guys sing this chorus.